Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Eau Claire. And week one is in the books, and unfortunately, it did not go quite how Packers fans hoped, but perhaps how many Packers fans expected it to go, losing a tough battle at San Francisco, 34-28. to There is tons to talk about uh, stemming from this game, all of which we will discuss during this podcast. I guess um, there's not much more to be said to lead in than that. Matt, I'm going to bring you in here, and I guess I could start with a positive that having thought about it for, uh, you know, almost 24 hours now, it was a very, very good game, and I expected us to lose. You expected them to win, but you thought it would be the kind of hard-fought game that we saw yesterday. Um, I guess what are your quick thoughts uh, having seen the game yesterday? Right, and there's more we'll get into here about uh, some of the things that you said on Saturday before the game that really came true, which I was kind of thinking about yesterday. It's like, man, it's it's almost kind of strange that uh, it seemed like you and Jim Harbaugh had maybe the same mindset. (laughs) Um, But I mean, real quick off the bat here, I I guess it's it is the almost the exact same kind of game that I expected, you know, minus where the the 49ers offense was coming from. But you know that. Right around that score is about what I expected. I was just hoping the Packers might have come out right on the other end, but it was so close. And you know, I, and I'm still undecided, kind of on on how I feel exactly about the game. I'm real frustrated at times when I think about it, but at the same time, you go in Week One into San Francisco, your starters haven't played at all in the preseason, and you come in there, and although you made a bunch of mistakes and even had some referee issues, mm-hmm. you still come out only down six points against what I would say might be the best team in the NFL. So mm-hmm. there's uh, you know, there's a lot of positives and a, and a lot of negatives, and um, I, I don't know, I'm still kind of undecided on this game. Yeah, I'm quite torn as well, and for them to have a lead uh, in the fourth quarter when I really was expecting the possibility that they could really get blown out of the stadium was definitely encouraging, especially as how poorly we saw them play San Francisco twice last year. Um, on the other hand, it's still hard for me, despite how I warned on Saturday of the potential for a bad season, it's still hard for me to hear people on the radio here and nationally say, man, the Packers, they just ought to be proud of themselves for how close they came to beating the San Francisco 49ers This core of players and coaches and front office is two years removed from winning the Super Bowl. They've won 26 games in the last two seasons. I think they're out of the business of moral victories at this point. So it's too hard for me to get too excited about that aspect of it. Right, and I don't think they should be hanging their heads high today. I mean, they expect to win every game, and it should be a disappointment when they don't. But, I I mean, I guess at least in the fashion that they lost, you know, at least... We didn't get blown up by San Francisco, and if that was the case, if we had to match up with them again in the playoffs, I'd say we had zero chance against them. But they showed us that they can at least hold close and weren't completely physically dominated by this team. So I guess that's at least a positive. So if we have to match up against them again in the playoffs, I'd still probably expect a loss, but you know, you at least think you might have a chance. Yeah, and I was going to get into that a little bit uh, later, but I guess since you touched upon it, I can bring my thoughts upon that. And I don't know if I feel the same way. Like, I guess I'm encouraged that they were closer than they were last year, but they've lost to this team three times in 364 days. And people forget, because it feels like 200 years ago, the first of the three losses, which might have been the most decisive, had Alex Smith at quarterback. They've beaten them thoroughly. Yesterday wasn't thoroughly, but they've beaten them in three different ways. 
They beat them with a tough defense that didn't let the offense get out of the gate and a mistake-free, simple offense back in last September. In the playoffs, they rolled over them with the read option, ran for a billion yards, Colin Kaepernick was unleashed, and then yesterday, uh, not to toot my own horn, but it was exactly what I said they could do. It doesn't matter about the read option because if they stand back and they do the traditional pro-style pack, uh, uh, passing offense, they can tear this team apart anyways. And that's exactly what they did yesterday. The offense was better. Uh, we can get into that. They were better than they were the first two times. But it's certainly not to that point, but it reminds me almost of their problems beating the Cowboys in the 90s where the first time they played, it was clear Dallas was just better across the board, uh, probably for both of their matchups in 93. Then their offense gets better, and you have a new Achilles heel. You can't stop Elvin Harper, or you can't stop Michael Irvin. Then you start containing those guys, and you can't stop Emmett Smith. It's just they have too many weapons. And if you look at the game yesterday, I'm um, sorry, I'm kind of taking a lot of time here, but if, if you look at the game yesterday, San Francisco had 11 penalties. They gave up two sacks. They only rushed for 2.6 yards per carry, and you still lost. And so some people are encouraged about it, but to me it's like, you can blame the referees. You can blame penalties. You can blame the bad defense. You can blame a offense that was inconsistent. But you're never gonna have all of those things never occur. And, you played about as close as you could to a perfect game in Candlestick, and you still lost. So part of me thinks that this isn't a Giants problem where you're just getting beat by scheme because your players and their players have matched up and you've had anywhere from a Packers 45-17 victory to a Giants 38-10 victory where you just got to figure out the new scheme. This seems to be a talent problem against the San Francisco 49ers, and that makes me think if you're going to get past them in the playoffs, somebody else is going to have to do your dirty work. Yeah, and I, th- I think you're right. I mean, especially touching on that last point. It, yesterday watching the game, it made me think about the uh, the point that you made kind of about our talent versus some other teams. Um, the comment that you made was that we might not have as many stars as, as a lot of other teams, but the few that we have are pretty bright. So, And the players that we have that are stars played great yesterday. Mm-hmm. The only problem was is the rest of the team did not. Nobody else seemed to show up except for the people that you would expect to have great games. Uh, Rodgers played very well. Cobb played great. Jordy Nelson played great. Clay Matthews played awesome, except for you know a boneheaded mistake. Mm-hmm. But uh, those players played great. But really, it seemed like nobody else showed up. And it's it's just the overall depth and the overall talent uh, at the rest of the positions. And really, other than maybe the defensive line, no other position played particularly well. Mm-hmm. And like you said the other day, the, the 49ers outmatch us at pretty much every other position except quarterback and receiver, and that was completely evident in that game. And if you're only uh, superior at two positions, it's going to be tough to beat them you know, anytime. You might sneak one out, but yeah, I think you're right. I think if we get anywhere in the playoffs this year, the 49ers are going to have to be get, get knocked out before they see us. Yeah, and it's hard to imagine a scenario against a team as good as San Francisco on the road where Aaron Rodgers or Clay Matthews could play any better. Uh, mm-hmm. From an overall standpoint, uh, Rodgers certainly played much better yesterday than he played in either of last year's San Francisco games. And although that uh, that mistake by Clay Matthews negates quite a bit of uh, how good he played yesterday, he was everywhere. Yep. And it almost makes me want to apologize to him for some of the things we've said on this show. Um, if that's if he's just really been waiting to be healthy for a year, and that was him healthy yesterday or him motivated gosh, you'd like to see him healthy and motivated every week because he was 
unbelievable. And you'd like to have somebody that was half as good as him uh, on that defense. It, it felt like it was him and a JV team at times. Yeah, he was great. I was thinking about that during the game and when he was making all these plays and blowing stuff up. It's like, man, I wish he did this every game, but at the same time, you know, we've said that he can be a little bit overrated and maybe sure. he just hasn't been healthy enough. Um, but yeah, he was every bit of what we're paying him to be right now yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just absolutely fantastic to see that. But like you said, really nobody else did anything. I can't remember any of the other linebackers making a play that was good. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, he was doing this on his own too. So you know, there was a lot of offensive focus on him, and he was still blowing stuff up. So yeah, it, that was one definitely one big positive that if he can keep doing this all year, he's gonna be a defensive player of the year candidate. Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, there's. No other of those <laughs> emerging so far uh, of his teammates, and we don't need that level. We just need somebody to at least, in one of the other two levels, provide some kind of resistance to the other team. This question uh, I'm going to pose here because the most frustrating thing about this game to me is that they obviously spent all offseason trying to figure out a new way to use the read option, and they did, or uh, to defend the read option, and they did. They were very successful against it. But the problem is their solution was to play the zone defense that has been continually torched since Dom Capers has got here. It's never been successful. I looked up a statistic. Yesterday was the fifth time that a Packers uh, team has allowed an opposing quarterback to throw for over 400 yards. That's the fifth time since 2009. It's the most in the NFL. In fact, eight other teams have never done it in the last four years. Um, and then an additional... Um, nine teams have only done it once. And the Packers have done it five times uh, in the la- since Dom Capers have been here. An opposing quarterback throwing for over 400 yards. Just seeing what happened yesterday, it's nothing new. But what it occurred to me is people are blaming Jerron McMillan or M.D. Jennings. But these gaping holes are not new. They were there when Nick Collins was there. When Matt Giordano was there. When uh, Atari Bigby was there. When Charlie Pepper was there. So one of these three things have to be true. Either Dom's defense is just too complicated for your average NFL player to grasp, um, all the players we have stink at coverage, or Dom's ideas about how to play defense in 2013 are bad and outdated. And I don't know how you feel about that, but one of those three things have to be true if no matter who we put out there for four seasons and the start of a fifth, they still have the exact same problems. And it probably, I mean, realistically, is probably a combination of all three things. But I, I can't believe they keep using it over and over again when it, every time we have a big game, we seem to use it. You just see, you know, three, four guys coming after the quarterback. He sits back there all day and all of a sudden somebody's, you know, wide open with nobody within 15 yards of him. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing that we had in the Arizona Cardinals wild card game. Uh, it's the same thing that's happened to us against the Giants a few times and other teams. I mean, think about, I think it was, uh, 2000, was it 2011 when we had that terrible defense and we yeah, were allowing worst everybody. passing defense in the history of the NFL. It seemed like everybody was getting, you know, 400 yards on us or three, 400 yards. Mm-hmm. But it, it's the same thing, and every time, maybe it helped stop the read option. But it definitely, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'd almost take giving up the read option a little bit more than what we saw yesterday, I guess. But yeah, I guess, I guess that's the issue with San Francisco, though, because maybe you do this to stop the read option, and obviously it worked, and it stopped the run game overall. Frank Gore couldn't get it going either. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you don't do that, then the read option kills you like it did last year. And if you do do it, Kaepernick can kill you with his with his arm. And there's 
there's very few quarterbacks that can do that in the NFL. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's it's what do you do? You know, <laughs> I I feel a little bit bad for Dom, although I I'm I'm not a fan of his at this point. But I mm-hmm. do feel a little bit bad for him because it's just you, there's no way to stop that offense with the way it was rolling yesterday, or since it has since Kaepernick's been there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's obviously a good offense, and this offense is so much better than it was with Alex Smith. It's explosive, they can throw, they can run. But to me, that's just a sign of not a very good defensive scheme. If, mm-hmm. if you can't, if you have to sacrifice something, it's, it's one thing to say, we'll stop the Saints run, or we'll, we'll key to stop Drew Brees so we'll allow their running game. They might get 150 yards rushing. That doesn't mean to stop Drew Brees we have to concede 250 yards rushing, yeah. or to stop Adrian Peterson we have to concede 400 yards passing. Those are just ridiculous extremes that if you're a good defense, neither of those should ever happen, depending on whatever your focus is. And so are you really meaning to tell me that the San Francisco 49ers are so historically good that no matter what the Packers emphasize on, they're going to give up 500 yards of total offense? Mm-hmm. To, to me, that just seems like... I, I understand one of them's going to be better than the other, but hold them to 300 yards passing or 350 yards passing or 150 yards rushing, not, you know, 200 yard, 280 yards rushing or 400 yards passing. Those are just completely out of the realm of acceptable to me. Right, break a record either way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous, and I, I think obviously it has a lot to do with, you know, I, like you said, either poor scheming or, you know, just poor play. But uh, I think this is kind of what we're stuck with, and unfortunately, I think this is probably going to happen regardless of what kind of defense we play against San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, unless we get somebody else in here, this is what we're going to have to deal with. So, I, I, what can you do at this point? I mean, there's nobody you can go out there and grab, even as not only for players, but even if you think about grabbing a new defensive coordinator, what do you do? Um, yeah. I, this is what they're stuck with, and it's uh, it's not great, and we're going to get exposed a lot this year. But I don't I don't know if you have any other options right now. I mean, it sounds drastic, it being week one, but this is not a new problem, as I've said. We've had oh, absolutely. This, we've had this problem forever, and I think, I, I texted you this after the game, and you seem to agree with me, although I text a lot of crazy things right after the game. <laughs> um, but this one actually was more poignant and was kind of when I was settling down. If you're a defensive player, how do you trust Dom Capers anymore to put you in a position where you can win against a good offense? And... I know it's early, but I don't see how you don't give a Winston Moss a try or something like that. A guy who's been there longer than Dom has and just say, listen, here's what we have. You've been a linebacker in this system. You've been the right-hand man of Mike McCarthy, the assistant head coach, the second in command on defense for the last four years. Let's just see if you have any new ideas that maybe you haven't had a chance with. And maybe they don't want to do that out of respect for Winston Moss, tainting his reputation before he ever got a legitimate chance to do anything. But you almost want to see what could happen in that instance, because it's clear that Dom doesn't have any new ideas. Fine, you're going to beat up on the Bears, you're going to make Matt Stafford look stupid, you're going to beat up on Christian Ponder, you're going to punish Brandon Whedon, and you'll probably blow apart Chip Kelly's new offense in Philadelphia. But 
you're not going to get a playoffs where you don't encounter either Eli Manning, Colin Kaepernick, Drew Brees, um, Matt Ryan. You're going to have to play at least one of those guys, and it's clear right now that they don't have a very good chance to beat any of those guys if Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a ridiculous game. And to me, that's unacceptable. What are you playing for if you can't beat the other teams you have to beat to go to the Super Bowl? You're just wasting time, in my book. Give somebody else a chance. Yeah, and I wish that's the way it worked. Um, I kind of brought this up yesterday, too. It's like, yeah, ideally, they would just cut him or get rid of Dom right now, but that's you know that's not going to happen. Um, and you're like, why not? Well, it just doesn't seem to be how things work. I mean, especially with the Packers. I can't imagine them firing a coordinator after week one. But this, like you said, this has been a recurring problem. I mean, we've seen this time and time again over the last, you know, five or six years with Dom Capers. So it, this is this is what his scheme is. He runs the zone against quarterbacks that that he seems to be afraid of and lets them pick them apart. And uh, I agree. I don't think it can get much worse right now against some of these teams. So I would love to see something new and maybe just something fresh or maybe somebody with some fresher ideas. But I uh, I would love to see it. I just can't imagine it happens. Yeah, I think you're right, um, but I can dream, I guess. Uh, we'll see. Hopefully there isn't a reason to fire Dom uh, in the next eight weeks or so. Maybe they can turn it around, but you'd be a fool to think they will at this point. And you kind of think, you know, even if he does turn it around, we're going to still see a game like this down the road when it counts the most, too, whether it's, you know, divisional round or end of the season when we're trying to fight for the playoffs. It, they always seem to show up at the worst particular times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the best defenses statistically in the league in 2009 and they got torched five times and that was enough to cost them their whole season. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess uh, we'll see. Let's talk about some of the issues that people have been bringing up for a reason they lost yesterday. Uh, obviously the defense is enemy number one, Dom Capers, um, mainly bearing the brunt of that criticism. The other one was the referee's officiating mistake combined with Clay Matthews' absolutely stupid play. Uh, I was so mad. I, I'm glad they benched him for a couple of plays after that. I was so mad that it was one of the only times that I didn't think Jim Harbaugh was out of line for going crazy. Uh, I would have done the same thing, too. It was just stupid. It was. It, I don't think you need to take a cheap shot at that guy. And, um, I mean, it might have succeeded. One of the people I was watching with, uh, uh, Jason Chastain, who comments on our things a lot, he had mentioned that maybe it was a, uh, it was a collateral risk, uh, or a risk, something like that. <laughs> I forgot what he, what he exactly said, but that he did it because he knew it would, it would, um, get a penalty, but Colin Kaepernick, from that point forward, was terrified of Clay Matthews. When he got sacked by him, he didn't even smile or anything. He just kind of stared at him like a little kid looking at his angry father. I mean, it was ridiculous. So maybe that was the thing, but I don't know if it was worth that. Um, I'm just kind of rambling. That's what I do after a loss. But do you have, um, let's just start with this one. What was your reaction? Obviously, I know, but share your reaction to Clay Matthews' play. I was, I mean, I was just as upset as you were, but, um, like you said, I mean, Harbaugh and Staley, the, the lineman who came over, had absolutely every right to be just as mad as they were. I mean, if that's a guy who hits Aaron Rodgers that laid out of bounds, I would hope our guys run over and do the same thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the ref's mistake is absolutely inexcusable for a yeah. professional referee to miss that. And not only just one, but they've got, what, five referees on the field and nobody knew that rule? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's completely inexcusable. And how does, you know, neither coach either. Well, obviously Harbaugh probably wouldn't have said anything, but McCarthy should know that too, mm-hmm. um, that particular rule. Bring it to somebody's attention. Somebody has to know that. And for that to happen at the professional level is just embarrassing. I can't even fathom it, really. Yeah. Um, that being said, though, 
don't make such a stupid play and hit the quarterback out of bounds on third down and cost your team, you know, four points. Regardless, I don't think Staley should have even gotten a penalty for what happened. I don't know what he said, and that's probably where he got the flag because he really didn't hit Clay or anything. No, I agree. Clay was the one going up under his face mask and hitting him in the face. So either way, Staley probably shouldn't have gotten a flag, so it still should have been a personal foul and a first down and a touchdown. Anyways, uh, that's not how it was called, so obviously we would like to see the touchdown taken off the board, so you probably take four points total off the board with a field goal hit there. Yeah. Um, you know, I... I'd say, you know, I'm mad at the refs, and I think it's inexcusable, but at the same time, don't do that play. Don't put yourself in that spot. So mm-hmm. I'm not, uh, I'm upset that at the referees, but at the same time, I'm not going to blame that for the loss, and I'm really not as upset about it as I would think I would be because it was just a stupid play on our part. Yeah, I echo almost everything uh, that you said there. Uh, to, to blame the referees for a call that occurred with 35 minutes remaining in the game is ridiculous. Uh, you can blame the referees on the fail Mary when time is expiring, or you can blame the referees on Jerry Rice's fumble in the 98 playoffs because there was 50 seconds left. You can't blame them when there's five minutes to play before halftime. Uh, there's more than enough time to correct for any referee error at that point. Um, that being said, yeah, you would like to see something happen as far as these, these guys get reprimanded, and it amazes me how often players and coaches but especially referees, don't know the rules. That's their only job, is to know the rules and recognize them when they occur in the game. And for that, for them to miss calls is completely inexcusable, and it happens all the time. A lot with the way that they assess challenges is completely wrong. Right. Uh, you see almost one every week where they mistake the trap rule, or they mistake a whole bunch of different rules. Go to freaking Wikipedia and go through the last ten years of updated rule changes, and you can get you could probably be more knowledgeable than the guys who are actually getting paid $7,000 a game to do this. It's embarrassing, and I don't really understand. Quite frankly, I don't think the NFL cares enough to put money into making sure that these guys know what they're doing. Um, they don't care who wins and loses. I think one of the kind of a sidetrack thing, I, we were talking yesterday about the success of the NFL, and I said I believe that the reason the NFL is the most successful league is because through fantasy football and gambling, they've convinced a huge section of the United States who doesn't like football to watch football every week. Um, the people who go, oh, man, the playoffs are here. No more fantasy. You know, those kind of people. Right. And I think because of that, they don't really care enough to make sure that the referee – this isn't a conspiracy theory either. I just think they probably think there's more pressing issues than to make sure that the referees are right 100% of the time because at the end of the day, though they'd never admit it, they don't care who wins the games just as long as they're exciting. Yeah, and I don't know about that. And I maybe they need to put more emphasis on it. And I know there's a big issue about referees thinking they were part time, regardless of the fact that they're getting paid like 200 grand or more. I think it is actually more than I'm getting paid. That's for sure. A lot more than all of us. So I mean, this is something that they should not have to work. You know, their so-called other part time jobs during (laughs) the rest of the year. I mean, you're making enough money that you should be able to really put the focus on this year round. And I think that's where the emphasis is going. At least last I heard. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for this to be your job, I mean, I knew that rule, and I, <laughs> I'm not getting paid to read the rule books. Uh, you have one game a week 
what are you doing the rest of the time? You know, you're just sitting around and, you know, you should be at least brushing up on this stuff. And I've always thought for the longest time that they should have somebody in their ears. You know, if they have a question, mm-hmm. why can't you go to, say, like a Mike Pereira who's sitting by, you know, you know, with a rule book right in front of him that can just go there and, or at least maybe catch something in these quick moments like that where there's not sure. necessarily a challenge or anything. But I, I don't know if that's anything that's, Maybe they do do that now. I guess I don't know if they, I don't think they have headsets or anything. But no, but they should. I mean, especially for like what you're talking about, the non-negotiable things. It's not a judgment call. That's the right. enforcement of the rules. So it's somebody fix yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, somebody fix it. I, I don't understand why that would be something hard. It should be part of your regular quality control of your officials. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it's that important to them, honestly. I think they think it's good enough. If they, if they screw up one call a game in the second quarter, I think that's acceptable to them rather than spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on a training program. Yeah. I, I mean, it really doesn't come up that often in this kind of an instance. It's a it's a big story like today and this morning. But overall, you know, they, they blow a call and you'll never even hear about it the next day if you weren't watching the game. So mm-hmm. you're probably right. I mean, there's really no repercussions from it. Uh, I mean, in this case, what are they going to do? Say, oops, sorry, and maybe suspend the refs a game. But probably know, no playoffs. <laughs> they'll right. they'll be blacklisted from the 2013 playoff crews. Yeah, and and that's it. So I mean, really, there's there's no reprimand for the NFL as a whole when something like this happens. It's not like people are going to stop. Wa- I'm not going to not watch the Packer game next week because <laughs> they blew a call. So uh, there's there's really like you said, there's really no reasoning why they should focus more on it. Although we would all love to see it, but mm-hmm. uh, there are uh, the ratings are still great. So. Yeah, I mean, it sucks when it happens to your team, but, you know, it happens in almost almost every week you see something involving non-Packer teams, and you're just kind of like, oh, man, that was bad, and then three players later, if somebody brings it up, you hardly remember. Right. But whatever. Um, they should at least get it right during Packers games. I mean, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> All right, um, we've talked a lot about the defense and some of the issues. Uh, Josh Sitton had a couple of stupid penalties. I don't know if we need to get into that. Um other than we've said our piece on Sitton, I think, throughout this show that he doesn't really act like an elite offensive lineman, that everybody, for some reason, tries to put him in that category, um, and I've never seen it from any capacity. Um, but, you know, holding happens, I guess. The main thing I wanted to talk about uh, going forward here is the offense. And I'm not going to try to make an argument that the offense, um, you know, played badly or anything yesterday, but... The offense that we saw yesterday was almost an exact, um, I guess, on-field embodiment of what I complained about the offense being last year. And that is, you look at the box score, and they had 23 first downs, same as San Francisco, 385 total yards. They had um, 322 passing yards. They at least tried to rush the ball, had 19 attempts, even though it didn't add a lot of yards. They did have the two turnovers, but you look at the final score, they scored 28 points. That's better than their average last year. They had as many first downs as San Francisco. They had almost 400 yards of total offense. But if you actually break that down, you can kind of see the problem with this offense. It is so feast or famine, and we talked about that last year. And that's one of the things that I feel kills them against teams like San Francisco. Not including that final drive of the game where they had a 38 yards gained on three plays that ended in a sack Hail Mary, which, ugh. I don't know if you want to mention, talk about that quick, Matt, but how pathetic was that to give up a sack on a Hail Mary attempt? 
Yeah, I mean, it, we've kind of seen this from Rodgers, I think, a few times where it, it just seems like he maybe holds the ball and doesn't want to throw a pick, but I mm-hmm. think this one was uh, completely on the offensive line. There was only a few guys coming, and they couldn't hold him for three, yeah. four seconds. I mean, that's absolutely unforgivable from an offensive line. He couldn't even get you know, get a step or get a pocket at all to even launch it down the field. He couldn't even swing past it to Kuhn right. four yards in front of him. I'm, I'm the first one to criticize Aaron Rodgers for holding the ball too long, and there is no way uh, that that one was any part his fault. No. But uh, going back to what I was saying, that they had 12 drives uh, during the main part of the game. Their touchdown drives, they had four of them. Six plays for a minute 47, covering 80 yards. Eight plays for a minute 16, covering 62 yards, aided by a 15-yard San Francisco 49er personal foul. Seven plays in 248, covering 69 yards, again aided by a San Francisco personal foul. Their final touchdown drive, eight plays, covering 76 yards in just two and a half minutes. So they can blaze when they have to. The other eight drives, three first downs gained, 85 total yards, that's including gains of 18 and 22. So the other 19 plays making up these eight drives gained just three point or 2.36 yards per play. They had five three and outs, they had two turnovers, and their drives were two yards, 27 yards, three yards, eight yards, 33 yards, five yards, seven yards. They gotta do better than that. Even if they're not scoring 40 points a game, you can't have five three and outs and gain 85 yards over eight drives. You don't have to score every drive. You're not going to do that against San Francisco. But playing that feast or famine, especially scoring that quick, scoring that quick is one of the things that people talk about. Um, I guess ne- you should never apologize for scoring. If you can score eight times or, or four times on four 80-yard passes, you should do it. You should never try to make your drives longer than you have to or you're just kind of a stupid idiot like Todd Haley. But... To only get 85 yards and three first downs out of eight other drives is something that I think they got to be more consistent. Even if the final product looks good, it's too much boom and bust for this team, especially when you have a bad defense. Yeah, and I hadn't heard those numbers. That's, I mean, that's so extreme on both ends. I mean, your touchdown drives are right away, just a few plays, boom, boom, boom. And you're right, it seems like when they feel like they have to, they just open it up um, and just go for it and do it. And otherwise... I Maybe this is just my opinion. I tend to get this feeling a little bit with watching a couple other times I would, or teams, I would say namely Dallas and New England, mm-hmm. where it seems like if they want to just open it up and just start throwing, they do it, but they just almost seem like they're trying to be too cute like when they don't absolutely have to score. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Just try other plays and stuff and try to run a lot, and obviously that's not something we're great at. I, I love trying to establish the run game, but mm-hmm. it seems like when we want to just open it up and score, we have absolutely no problem. Mm-hmm. And but, I mean, looking at how few yards even we gain on those other drives, that's that's embarrassing, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when we've shown we can do it, we've shown we can get scoring drives, but how do you go from one extreme to the other, either scoring in two minutes or less or absolutely nothing? It's, it's, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around that. Yeah, and I guess I, I don't have the time to do that, but I almost wonder if that's maybe the nature of a passing offense. Like, mm. does, does New Orleans have that kind of feast and famine where they're explosive, but when they're not explosive, they're horrible? Um, I feel like that's not the case, but... And, and you mentioned establishing the run, and I agree that you need to establish the run, but it's not like they run... I mean, their biggest plays were usually off the play action, so I guess I understand it, but it feels like... 
they get guys have to bite on play action anyways. Like whether you're running or not running, it it just feels like I don't I don't know. To run on first down and then run on second down and then have it Rodgers throw it in completion on third down, I know what you're trying to do, but it feels like it's just a waste. And I, I don't I don't know it's it's kind of that gray area where you're like you have to establish the run because otherwise they're not gonna bite on your play action, which is your most effective way that creates all your explosive plays. But at the same point it feels like then almost every third down is third and long. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to balance that, but they need to do something to balance it better. You never have to apologize for scoring 28 points, but 85 yards on eight drives is is horrible. I mean, that's that's horrible, especially when you have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. You have some great things, and and maybe that's just a, a reflection of the fragility of this kind of a high volume passing offense, where if you're just not clicking, you're not just ineffective. You're completely incompetent at moving the football. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to, to point out. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix that, but I guess I'm saying that the offense has to get more consistent across the board um, if they're going to help out this bad defense, especially against good teams. You can't have five three-and-outs. Although Tim Maste played real well yesterday. He took advantage he, of those five He always does. He, I swear he's our MVP here for like the <laughs> last couple of – I mean, obviously, it's in all seriousness, Aaron Rodgers, but, I mean, this guy is so valuable to our team, mm-hmm. and no matter what happens, he always just seems to play awesome. And, I mean, he's out there making tackles and booming punts. I love the guy. Yeah, did they even he, – he got to be the kickoff specialist yesterday, and I don't think San Francisco returned a kickoff. No, he, everyone was eight yards deep in the end zone. It seemed they were out of the end zone. Yeah, and the, oh, well, they, they must have had the one because that's when he made the tackle at, like, the 20-yard oh, yeah. line. Yeah. So he's unstoppable. Best player on the team, <laughs> bar none. All right, well, I guess uh, a couple other things I have on my notes here as far as uh, just some questions I'll throw out there. Um, Jeremy Ross is horrible, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to comment on that, but he is like the epitome of how stupid our team is. And I hate to call him, I don't know if it's the way they're coached or, or what, but it just feels like these dumb boneheaded mistakes happen to us. A lot, especially in these close games. It's like they get frazzled or something, and that's part of having a team that's constantly one of the youngest in the NFL. But, I mean, come on. Was, was returning the ball eight yards deep in the end zone smart at JV high school level? I mean, come on. Yeah, and we talked about him a little bit in the preseason, too, where we were pretty sure he was going to get cut from all these other receivers <laughs> playing well, and he just seems to always kind of fade in these big situations. And he did it again. It seems like every time the pressure's on a little bit, I, he just makes stupid decisions or coughs the ball up. I, I can't imagine that they have him back there again next week returning kicks. I would mm-hmm. think that he's probably not suiting up next week. You know, I'm probably wrong. Maybe that's just what I'd like to see. But mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I kind of doubt that he'll be back there again. Well, they put Cobb back there once it got close uh, mm-hmm. during the punts. They, there was no way they were going to let Jeremy Ross touch that ball on a punt. Yeah, and that's tough, too, because, I mean, obviously you'd like to see Randall Cobb back there all the time. I mean, it's been the same thing, you know, with Deshaun Jackson in Philadelphia or Devin Hester. You hate to put such a valuable guy back there with a chance to get blown up, but, I mean, he's clearly our best return guy. And if he has a chance to, you know, score a couple touchdowns a season on returns where we're not going to get that with Jeremy Ross, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it almost seems worth it to me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, do you have any other things you'd like to bring up, uh, little tidbits about the game that we haven't covered yet? Well, I guess just the you know the main overarching point, which is what you kind of talked about yesterday or on Saturday before the game, that you thought um, Harbaugh could possibly just have him sit back and pass. And I guess I didn't really get a chance to comment on that too much, but um, 
it it was almost bizarre on how spot on that was. And I can't tell if it was because he knew how much we had prepared for the read option or, you know, how, you know, our secondary is clearly weak and he probably knew that. Or I almost get the feeling like it was almost like a confidence thing with them. They're like, we're so much better than this team that we're going to outdo, you know, what they do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they came in not even really trying to read option. I think they only ran it like eight times or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we obviously stopped that well. But he just, it seemed like he was toying with us. It's like, yeah, you think you can stop that? You probably can, but watch me sit back and, and you know, and Colin Kaepernick outdoes Aaron Rodgers at what he does best, which was just incredible. So, I, you know, I almost, any other coach, you might just say, you know, it's probably just the game plan thing. Mm-hmm. But with Harbaugh, I kind of get the feeling a little bit that he was almost just kind of rubbing it in our face a little bit. He just wanted to be a prick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I almost kind of got that feel. I don't know. Maybe that's not the case at all. But he's just the kind of guy he is. I kind of just got that feeling a little bit. I feel like he did it because he thought 95% it was the most effective way to move the ball and 5% because he's a prick. Mm-hmm. Just to, Yeah, just kind of rub our nose in a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, other than that, I feel like we covered pretty much everything. Um, uh, do you, you feel know. more impressed about Colin Kaepernick as a quarterback now, having seen him twice and really beat us in two different ways? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think not that it matters what you know what I think about him at all to him, but I think this is the kind of game I wanted to see from him to actually feel like he's an elite quarterback. And we have a pretty small sample size, but I think he's there. I mean, not a lot of quarterbacks can pass like that. And I know our our secondary is pretty spotty, but for him to do that and still be able to run, if he can play like that, I don't know how you stop him. Um, yeah. I, at this point, he's definitely a top ten quarterback, and he hasn't even played a full season. And uh, you know, if he can throw like that, he's going to be top five in no time. Mm-hmm. So I, they're a lot scarier team to me after yesterday than they were before yesterday. And you say top five in no time, and I know, you know, you don't want to be too quick to judge, like you said. But would you really take Matt Ryan over him, or even I? I, I mean, it's not his fault that he's getting older, but. Even a Drew Brees. I mean, mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick can do more things for you, and I think time will tell if if he can keep doing that, and or if the Packers' defense is just that lousy at playing zone defense in the passing game. But um, we have a very small sample size. But he's done it to us. He's done it to the Saints. He almost did it to the Ravens. Um, mm-hmm. Although Seattle, they got Seattle at Quest Field or whatever the heck it's called now. Well, they got to stop changing the names of these stadiums. <laughs> uh, but they roughed him up pretty bad last year, so um, maybe that'll be a testament to see uh, how good he is. Although, uh, transitioning to our thoughts generally of the other NFL games yesterday, Seattle's offense, having seen them in this game yesterday, I had it on, um, we had uh, uh, the Sunday ticket going on. Somebody bought the Madden with the Sunday ticket, so we had it on a computer, and then I had the Red Zone channel on my phone, so I got to see quite a bit of that Seattle game. Their offense is not anywhere close to as good as I thought it was going to be. Uh, having seen them against the Packers, really getting stuffed by the Packers' backups, many of which probably aren't even in the NFL today. And Carolina's defense, which was middle of the road, I, I believe, last year, and being held in check both times... It really makes me think that um, unless Seattle can just go 8-0 at home again like they did last year, I think San Francisco could run away with that. Not run away with that division, but is definitely the favorite at this point. Yeah, for sure, and I was kind of surprised to see that too. But we did see this from Seattle a couple times last year too. I mean, when you think about it, they were almost out of the playoffs for a little bit of time there too. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, their offense did do this. They did it against us where they were pretty poor until the end of the game. 
they tend to do this. Um, you know, I think they'll kind of hit their stride eventually, especially if they get Percy Harvin back. And Marshawn Lynch was just not himself yesterday either. Um, I might not have gotten to see as much of that game as you did, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that they'll, they'll turn it around a little bit, but mm-hmm. that's one thing that I would think I'd be worried about if I was a Seahawks fan. Is And that's one thing I felt like Russell Wilson might potentially be the one of these quarterbacks that takes a step back this year. It's just because you can get games like that where he only puts, I forget what the final score was, but they only put 12 up to seven. 12 points on the board. So Which would have been of, the final score if they would have called, uh, in the Packers-Seahawks game, if they would have called the Hail Mary right. Yeah, so I, I guess I'm not, you know, after one week I'm not, too worried if I'm a Seahawks fan, but I, I think that that's definitely not a good sign. And mm-hmm. I'm liking the San Francisco offense a little bit more than theirs right now, that's for sure. Yeah, and I think the thing with Seattle, too, is that Marshawn Lynch obviously is one of the best backs in the NFL, but I'd be a little bit worried about him if I was Seattle fans because he had a huge workload last year. He's about 27, 28, and historically in the NFL, and it hasn't been, you know, there's some guys that can be the exception to it, you know, freaks of nature like Adrian Peterson and Emmett Smith and uh, Barry Sanders. But if you look at a lot of those guys like Jamal Anderson and like Terrell Davis and a lot of those guys that had big seasons, pick your Denver running back, uh, Clinton Portis, things like that. Portis might be a bad example, but I'm thinking more of the guys that had the heavy workloads early in their career and then once they get to 27-28, they have the 400-carry season. Larry Johnson is a great example. Just completely falls off the cliff overnight. Uh, Sean Alexander could arguably be that too, where you were just a great running back, you were getting 14, 1500 yards a season, and then all of a sudden overnight, you can't stay healthy and you can't move the ball. And I'm not saying that's going to happen to him, but history shows that if you get a heavy workload once you get in your late 20s, um, it's not a guaranteed thing that that success is going to sustain itself. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Every running back's had it happen. I mean, it's not really a new thing at this point. He's still a little young to really be thinking he might be at the end of his career, but he's had a lot of high, you know, rushing seasons where he could potentially be getting to that point where he just loses step and you lose some power. And I mean, you're just banged up constantly, and he's he might be getting dangerously close to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, he did have a great season last year, and I you kind of doubt that he just comes out in week one all of a sudden he's just done. But mm-hmm. um, I think we'll see some better things from him. But yeah, again, that's another concern for Seattle fans, I think. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's going to happen either, but it, it wouldn't be out of the ordinary to just be right. done overnight. It's happened many times. It happens. It's happened to almost every great running back, really, other than ones that retire before it happens. Yeah, the or the ones that are Hall of Famers, like Curtis Martin or Emmett Smith or any of those guys. Those guys were able to sustain. I guess that's what separates the really good uh, running backs like uh, John Brockington and Larry Johnson from the the Emmett Smiths and the um, you know Franco Harris's of the world. Mm-hmm. Well, just some other random thoughts. I'll throw a couple out there. Maybe we could alternate uh, just some thoughts we had about the games. I'm going to say this. Kansas City uh, blew out Jacksonville, but from the little I saw that game, I think that has to do more with the fact that Jacksonville is just brutal. Uh, I think Alabama is a better NFL team than Jacksonville. Oh, come on. You just won't buy into the Chiefs no matter what. They're going to be like, they're going to be 11-5 and five at the end of the year, and you're going to be like, yeah, well, you know, and this is... They they look pretty darn good. I don't know if you saw much of that game yesterday. Blaine Gabbert threw a pick six to Tamba Hali when he was rushing the passer. Blaine Gabbert's the worst. But still to hold a team to two points, um, although it is the Jaguars' offense. But their <laughs> offense actually looked pretty steady with Alex Smith there. And he had a, a few touchdown passes, I think, and uh, Jamal Charles played well. So yeah. I'm telling you, look out. I mean, I don't think that they're winning a Super Bowl, but I think this... With how uh, kind of weak the AFC is, this is a team that could easily sneak into the playoffs, especially with, I think, 
you know, how weak a lot of the other teams look who are in the same boat as them, I think, too, on kind of that yeah. same plateau. They could sneak in. Okay, I'll tell you this. I'm not saying they were bad. I'm just saying it's hard for me to be too impressed with how bad Jacksonville was. The Chiefs looked much better than Miami. I'll give you that. They looked loads better than the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they looked better than the Raiders. They they were much more efficient with the ball than the Colts were. I, I, I'll give you that. I will give you that, that I'll believe they have a chance to sneak in just because everybody else stinks. But I'm not going to say that the Chiefs are a great football team or even a playoff favorite beating up on Jacksonville. Sure. And, and you mentioned one of my big things from yesterday was the Pittsburgh Steelers, and man, were they bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Tennessee Titans defense was, I think, one of the worst, if not the worst in the NFL. The worst. They were the worst. The they gave worst. up over 500 points last year. And and the reason I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers to win that division this year, just based on the fact that I know their de- defense is getting older, but based on the fact that they, what I thought, still had the best quarterback in the division. And I thought it was going to be tight, and I thought that was going to be the difference. But, man, do I feel stupid after watching that game <laughs> yesterday. This team looks like it's it's cashed out, and it looks kind of like that they're under their reign. I hate to say Roethlisberger's done because he's not that old. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he couldn't do anything. I didn't watch as much of that game. I had the red zone on, so and obviously neither of those teams were in the red zone a ton, so they weren't <laughs> showing much of it. But it wasn't, uh, I mean, to be only be able to do that against the Tennessee defense um, I heard his offensive line was pretty bad, but you're still mm-hmm. Ben Roethlisberger. You still have to do more than that, mm-hmm. regardless of if you're the only player on your team who's doing anything at all. Um, yeah. So I think that they're, uh, if that's what they're going to show this year, I hate to use hyperbole, but I think that they're uh, in a rough spot for the rest of the <laughs> year probably. And they lost two big. They lost Larry Foot to the season um, with a really disgusting sounding injury of a ruptured bicep. Ooh. And a, uh, and I think they lost Pouncey for the season too. Oh, I, I knew he got hurt. I guess I didn't hear it was for the season. Yeah, I think they're both out for the year. Wow. Yeah, I saw some of that game on the little known NFL midfield channel. Uh, it's right below the, the red zone channel. Uh, just keeps the teams between the 40s. That's all you get to see. Um, but yeah, I, Heard some things, and if you read anything from, like, Steeler fans or kind of that local market, they hate Todd Haley over there. Um, they just think he's absolutely horrible and that he's completely cut the legs off of that offense. And when you see them produce two points for most of the game against the worst defense in the NFL last year, uh, it's it's not hard to see why, especially considering it. they were never like the Patriots or the Packers or anything, but when they won the Super Bowl, and when they nearly beat the Packers in the Super Bowl, they had a pretty solid running game, but that wasn't complemented with this dinky passing game. They threw the ball down the field, and it seems like Todd Haley's not as willing to do that. And Ben Roethlisberger, that's what he does best. Um, granted, sometimes it goes to the other team, but he's still a pretty darn good downfield passer, One of the historically one of the better ones of all time. So... Uh, that's got to be real frustrating to be a Steelers fan when their talent suggests they should be at least better than what they've shown. Mm-hmm. My other one um, that I'll share, and maybe you have one other one you can share. Oh, I will mention this other one quick. The Jags unis yesterday looked a lot cooler than I thought they would. Um, oh, I thought I would thought they were absolutely disgusting. I thought the helmets were the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, cooler is a relative term. From okay. not the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen, like still horrible, but better than Oregon's. Horrible unis, because I think Oregon's unis are like the worst thing to happen to sports in a long time. Um, you don't agree with that? I don't. Okay. No. I, I mean, some of them are pretty disgusting, like the ones that have like that plasticky, metallic helmet on them. Those are pretty bad, but I, I generally like what they wear, but some of them are pretty bad. Oregon's unis look like you bought some dirty 
uniforms and you took them to like a second grade class and they colored them with highlighters. <laughs> it's disgusting. I hate Oregon's unis. The Jags are an upgrade, but they're still like the bottom two unis in sports. I will mention, watching the Sunday night game, not seeing all of it, but watching it primarily thanks to Time Warner Cable on my iPhone, which is not fun to watch a whole game on that, but regardless, I don't understand why every single year the Cowboys and the the Dallas, uh, the Cowboys and the Giants look so sloppy. It's like they've never even practiced. And the Giants still kind of win, but I think that's part of my frustration level with them, is that why are they winning and the Cowboys aren't when they both look like a bunch of undisciplined teams that turn the ball over a ton, make a ton of mistakes, and they're not particularly careful with the ball on offense, and they're not very smart on defense. I don't understand why ne- either of these teams are better than 500 ever. And um, I don't know how much you watched of that game, but after watching the Packers and 49ers, who played real tough, real crisp, uh, seeing the same thing from the Bengals and the Bears, uh, for the most part, um, the Bengals had a few turnovers, but at least they were, like, excusable ones, not just stupid plays. <laughs> like, you see, every time you see the Giants and Cowboys play, it seems. Yeah, it's bizarre. It, it does seem like it every time almost. And I mean, throw the Eagles in there too. And they're all kind of like the three same teams. I mean, the Eagles have been worse the last couple of years, but they all just make stupid plays. Um, you know, all of a sudden these teams will turn it on and they'll look like a great team, but then they'll have games like yesterday. And maybe that's just the factor of being the first week of the year, but they just look terrible. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I did watch most of the second half at least. And it, you kept thinking, you know, like, oh, Eli will turn it on and they'll stop making so many mistakes, but it was just more and more and more. And, you know, somehow Dallas can win that game by more only because they played terrible, too. They had, like, six turnovers, I think, and only won by a few points. So yeah, it, there was a lot of actually pretty tight games yesterday with, uh, you know, not a lot of mistakes. There was a lot of late hits and things like that, but mm-hmm. uh, they were definitely two of the sloppier teams, and they're supposed to be, you know, playoff contenders, supposedly. So I, I doubt they'll play that bad the rest of the year, but it was a, a pretty bad showing. Yeah, it was it was just it's very confusing. I don't understand why this happens to these teams. Has the Monday night game start? Oh, it has started yet. It's almost the end of the first quarter. I forgot completely that it was on. Uh, yeah, I've been kind of watching it a little bit here on mute. Um, How's RG three looking? Uh, well, he uh, had a safety, I think, and uh, I don't know. I haven't been paying too much attention to it, but I mean, the Eagles' offense hasn't been running super fast or anything. It's just looked like kind of a standard pro game, I guess. I I haven't paid enough attention to give a whole lot of insight, but. Well, I'm hoping Deshaun Jackson can score about six touchdowns tonight so I can catch up to you in our, our fantasy league. Well, I saw him already get one here, so oh. if you if you somehow beat me when I had a 60-point game <laughs> night from Peyton Manning, I'm going to be pretty embarrassed. <laughs> well, I've got a couple of like percentage point wins over you in the past, so that would that would be pretty hurtful, wouldn't it? You're not getting this one, though. Yeah, I don't think I am either. Um. I guess I don't really have anything else. Other than the Bears, I've finally accepted that the I want to see the Bears' defense practice because we always say how lucky they are with turnovers, but when you've been lucky for, like, 13 years, it's mm-hmm. hard to say it's luck anymore. And yeah, I don't think I don't know. talent-wise they're a whole lot better than we are, but they just do something where, I don't know. I mean, it's just specific players. I know Tillman makes a lot of turnovers, but they're, uh, they just seem to be in the right spot. They know how to force turnovers and... Maybe we should have hired Lovey Smith as our defensive coordinator. Maybe we still can. Is he still out there somewhere? He is. I've actually heard his name mentioned amongst disgruntled Packer fans. So maybe we can somehow get the secret because obviously we're not doing what they're doing. So yeah. it would be nice just to get a little piece of that. 
Oh yeah, definitely. And they, there, it never seems like there's a loose ball or a tipped ball that they don't get their hands on. It's phenomenal, and it's very frustrating for a team in that division who, you know, n- never roots for the Bears. But you almost have to admire it that they've been able to do this continuously for over a decade now. Yeah, I mean, there's been player turnover. There's been new guys in. Erlacher's gone, but it's been the same thing, and it's it's very very impressive. Mm-hmm. And uh, just how they just keep it going, no matter who seems to be out there. I mean, we we saw Mike Brown doing it, you know, ten <laughs> years ago, and now it you know it's Tillman and some of these other guys doing it still today. So regardless of who the coaches have been, it somehow seems to go with the uniform yeah. that this team finds a way to make big plays. I was just going to mention Mike Brown that I'll apologize for. Uh thinking he was a complete loser who just got lucky for like three years. Um, maybe he was, you know, at least executing the defensive scheme properly. All right, I think that about wraps it up for Green and Gold Forever, unless you have some uh, burning topic you want to bring up here, Matt. No, I think we covered it all. Okay, well, hopefully next week we get to cover one thing we didn't get to cover this week, and that's a Green Bay Packers victory over the Washington Redskins. Uh, I guess we could touch upon that Real quick, having just uh, completely forgot about that, I have a couple of interesting stats to share about the Packers-Redskins history. Despite sharing the same league for over 80 seasons, or this will be the 81st season, the Packers have only played the Redskins 33 times, which is really weird. Uh, they lead the series 18, 14, uh, and 1. They are 1-1 one one in the postseason. The Packers beat the Redskins in the 39 NFL Championship game, but lost to Washington in the 1972 Divisional Playoff game. 33 times, to give you some perspective, the Giants came into the league a few years before Washington. The Packers have played them 58 times. The Cowboys, who have only been in the league since 1960, have played the Packers 30 times. And of uh, the 49ers, who've been in the NFL 30 few, or 20 fewer years than the Redskins, have played the Packers twice as much. So it's very weird, kind of a quirk of the schedule, that the Packers and Redskins have played so few times throughout their history. And in fact, from 1989 through 2000, they didn't play each other at all. Uh, So kind of weird. So I guess relish in the rarity that is Packers versus Redskins. Do you have any early predictions? Uh, I guess we'll just make our predictions. We did that earlier. Uh, What do you think is going to happen on Sunday? And give me your pick. All right. Well, obviously, I'm pretty worried about this one after coming off yesterday's game, but um, really, to me, I think Washington is is a fairly similar team to San Francisco, but almost, you know, a little bit worse at everything. Obviously, their defense isn't as good, which I think is a huge uh, benefit to the Packers. But I really don't think RG3 at this point can do what Kaepernick did yesterday, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think we have to worry as much about him taking off and running as much as we maybe normally would. Had this game been Week Ten, I might have a different opinion on this, but I think, um, you know, with him being still a little banged up probably and still getting used to things, I think that we have the advantage here. Um, I think the defense holds their offense down a little bit. I'm going to say uh, 34-20 Packers win, so actually a little bit convincing victory here coming off a big loss. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what you said. It all kind of depends on RG3. Um, obviously, he's playing right now, so we don't know exactly how healthy he is. Their, their offense... I guess it's a wash as far as if they're better than San Francisco. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind their defense is not even close. I actually right. looked up their stats. Their passing defense, they gave up like the sixth most passing yards of all time last year, despite being a 10-win team. So that certainly bodes well for the Packers. I think being at home, despite losing to San Francisco, I think they probably, especially offensively, feel pretty good about themselves uh, going into the rest of the season. And I think they'll beat Washington um, I'm going to say, I'll say 35 to, um, 
I'll say 35-27, but not quite that close. Sure. All right, if you'd like to give us your predictions or your thoughts on this past week, you can comment on our Facebook page, Green and Gold Forever Podcast on Facebook. Uh, you can also write a comment underneath this podcast that you're likely listening to now on our Podbean page. That's Green Gold Forever. That's the number four at po- uh, .podbean.com. You can also email us at greenandgoldpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, there's some other things we have out there. We have a, a Twitter account that's hardly ever used, but you can send one there. Oh, otherwise, we do have uh, some assorted archives on YouTube that you can comment on. That's Green Gold Forever. Uh, that's the username. So I might be adding uh, our shows to YouTube this year, but uh, either way, uh, reach out and let us know what you think. So hopefully the Packers can defeat the Washington Redskins and get back on track going forward this year. Uh, they got a tough, tough schedule coming up, but uh, maybe they're... They just might be up for it, at least to the tune to get back to the playoffs here in 2013. So until then, uh, for Matt and Eau Claire, I'm Eric and Oshkosh, and enjoy tonight's two Monday Night Football games, and enjoy next Sunday's games. Take care, everyone.